Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, With today's text, we will finish up the chapter, chapter 4, and then next week we'll be in chapter 5. So let's pause and ask the Lord to settle and quiet our hearts. Heavenly Father, we look to you, Lord. We really want to take the exhortation that comes to us through the book of James. Chapter 1, James says, don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't be deceived into thinking it's enough to just hear the word and know it. We have to put it into practice. We have to apply these things that we so easily say, oh, I know that. I know that. I've heard that before. And Lord, help us to put it into practice so that we could be blessed. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. Well, you know, we seem to find all kinds of reasons to worry, sometimes to even panic. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Chapman University put out a survey of American fears. They divided the fears into 10 domains. Now, I'm not going to list all 10 domains because, quite frankly, I don't want to remind you of all the things you need to be worrying about, right? So, but I'll list the ones that we always talk about. Uh, First of all, there's the domain of crime and becoming a victim to some terrible thing out there. You know, all kinds of things like murder and theft and fraud and identity. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? Identity theft. Yeah, we don't want that. Uh, And then there are the personal fears, you know. Uh, Number one is tight spaces. Number two is public speaking. (laughs) Go figure. And then clowns, you know. uh, (laughs) Oh, a lot of people have a hard time with uh, clowns. Now, In the domain of relationships, we have fears of infidelity, of course, someone cheating, uh, or being talked about behind our backs, or being betrayed, or losing a loved one, of course. There are natural disasters in that realm. Living in California, what what comes to mind? Yeah, I didn't have to prompt you on that one. Uh, personal future, you know, there's, of course, it hangs over all of our heads, the fear of dying and also illness or running out of money or taxes going up. Just kidding about the taxes there, but it is a fear. You know, there's war and terrorism. I mean, the list goes on and on, and I'm sorry, I apologize if I left left off any of your favorites in there. Fear, fear is a powerful, Force, a powerful emotion, and we've all dealt with it. Uh, fear of loss, fear of the unknown, fear of pain, fear of death, as we've mentioned, fear of a hostile world. And fear will either motivate you to act in honorable ways or, or it can paralyze you and worse yet cause you to throw everything you know that is true about your Christian faith out the window and panic Uh, for no good reason. And so the reason we struggle with these fears is because uh, we, uh, you know, found out early in life that there are some things, quite frankly, out of our control. How old were you when the thunder and the lightning just reminded you, wow, this could be a dangerous place to live? You know, I remember, I think I was seven years old. I was leaning my head on my pillow and I heard the 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 thumping of my own heartbeat. And I realized, 
all, all that has to happen here is that that just stop, you know? And I just, I just realized I'm not going to live forever right there in fourth grade. And, man, I made a beeline to my parents, and uh, they seemed a little uh, afraid as well, so that didn't help me. And <clears throat> they didn't have a good answer to what I'm trying to say. Uh, and so the Lord knows that we live in a topsy-turvy world. He's aware that once the fall happened, uh, the Pandora's box of all things bad and chaotic was turned loose. And so he wants us to live in this world in the meantime as he sets about to redeem it and to bring back order from the chaos that was unleashed. In the meantime, God's heart for us is, you know, to be led by quiet waters, to lie down in green pastures, and to enjoy the peace that surpasses knowledge. You see, that's what God wants for us. So it's not surprising to me that there are hundreds of of exhortations in the Bible to not be afraid, to fear not. Do you know how many there are in the Bible? One guy counted 365 exhortations to fear not. Now, what about that number speaks to you? Why would God put 365, do not be afraid? Why? One for every day of the year, right? Because we always find something. He knows how vulnerable. He knows how fragile. He knows that spouses go south. And he knows that our bodies break down. And he knows that car accidents happen. He knows all of that. And he gave us a promise that in this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. These things I've spoken to you that you, in me, you'll have peace. So we know God's heart. And, and, and so we're, that's exactly what we're going to find out in this text. There's no need for our faith to give way to fear. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen in this morning's text. Twelve guys that should know better. Jesus right there in the boat with them. But for whatever reason, reasons that we fully understand and keep repeating, uh, they throw their faith out completely and give way to utter panic. And even worse, they make a very foolish accusation against the Lord. And so we're going to learn vicariously through their situation. And, and, and so <laughs> sad but true, but we're very much like them. And so... <laughs> Let me show you what I'm talking about here when faith turns into fear. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He got in the boat and the disciples followed. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And without warning, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped and they were in great danger. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, master, master, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Don't you care? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? You of little faith. Do you still have no faith? They were terrified in fear and amazement. They asked each other, who is this? What kind of man is this? He commands the wind and the waves, and even they obey him. Just a beautiful text, well-loved, well-known, not always well-applied. And so what I told first service is, listen, some of us, we've heard this story 
hundreds and hundreds of times, right? And so if you're not careful, familiarity will breed contempt and you're not going to be in the right posture to receive. We want to pray for fresh ears to hear this. Now, the reason we need to hear it again, I asked the question of first service. When, when your boat goes upside down, do you still panic a little bit? Do you forget all the promises of God? Are you up at night worrying and fretting and dreading and all of this, letting that into your life? Well, if that's the case, I don't care how well you know these verses. You still need to hear them if you're still having the problem. Amen? And so we're going to ask the Lord for fresh ears to hear this as if we're hearing it the very first time. You've noticed, of course, by now that uh, I've added... In the green, Matthew's account where he differs from Mark or adds some more flavor, and Luke in the blue, just to give you the full uh, experience of what we're reflecting on uh, this morning. And so here's the context, and here's how we're going to divide it up. But the context is Jesus has been teaching by the boat, in the boat, that kind of area, the Sea of Galilee. He's been teaching parables, sermon illustrations about the farming life in uh, ancient Israel, how faith is compared to different kinds of seed and that kind of thing. It's been very uh, insightful. But now it's time to make a switch from Jesus' actual teaching to his actual deeds. We're going to see him in action. And don't get me wrong, actions speak sometimes louder than words. Every single time Jesus does anything, he's doing it for the purpose, of course, in the immediacy of the need. He's supplying relief, and he's ministering to somebody because they need it, but all of Jesus' deeds are telling us something. They're teaching us something about the Lord. And so what we've got here is we're asking ourselves, what does this incident teach me about Jesus? What does it say about who he is, the extent of Jesus' power? Where is he located in the vessel of my life? I mean, can he bring me peace in the midst of my storm when my boat goes upside down? What might he expect of me when there's a time of chaos or trouble, what does faith look like in those kinds of situations, right? That's, what's the role panic should play in the Christian's life? Let me cut to the chase there, none, all right? So <laughs> this divides quite nicely. As you're asking yourself these questions, our talking points are gonna be just the life-threatening danger in the first couple of verses. And then note takers, the awe-inspiring miracle, verses 38 and 39. And then the last two verses, the invaluable lesson. There's always a lesson when Jesus does anything. So like we always do, we'll pull the first section apart here, take a look at the life-threatening danger and see what the Lord has for us. It may be time in your Christian life for a booster shot for your confidence in God levels. And this is a perfect text for you. So the danger and the threats, they come into every life. God knows it. And so really, this incident serves an important purpose to illustrate and to validate the claim that I opened with, the claim that says, listen, in me, you will have peace. In the world, you're going to have, big word, tribulation. You're going to be in the pressure cooker. That word means to be under great stress and strain. He says, I promise you, I know this world. You're going to fall into trouble. But in me, I'm telling you this, you can have perfect peace. I can take care of you through that trouble and get you out, get you through. But you trust me. And so he says, let me illustrate. And so he does something an action where you will see that his claim is true and that he can uh, carry out that which he promised. And and that's that's true with all of his deeds. Listen, have you noticed this before? I mention it a lot. In John chapter 11, he makes the claim. He says, whoever believes in me will live forever on the resurrection and the life. If you come to me, you trust in me, even if you die, yet shall you live. 
in the same chapter, then he says, right after making the claim, show me where you've lain Lazarus, who was dead for four days. So he says, I'll make the promise to keep you alive through death, and then let me show you that I have the power to do that. Lazarus, come forth. So you see, in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a, a, a man born blind. But in John chapter 8, he's just made the claim, I am the light of the world. If anyone follow me, he will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So in the very next chapter, right? Well, this is fresh in their minds. He's the light of the world. He says, show me someone who's in darkness, born blind, 38 years, and he receives his sight. So he brings light to the dark. So he's always saying that. He says in John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of heaven. Think of me like bread that came down from heaven. If anybody eats of that bread, every longing will be fulfilled. You'll never be hungry. And then what does he do? He multiplies the, the loaves of bread. Do you see the connection? So Jesus doesn't waste anything. Yes, he's doing some miracles right there, but they all mean something. And this is to verify and validate the claim that whatever you're going through, whatever storm, whenever your boat goes upside down, I told you, your boat is going to go upside down sometimes. But I'm in the boat with you. And I am the Lord, and there's nothing that I can't handle. And I'm going to give you peace in the midst of whatever hurricane, and, uh, figuratively speaking, that you're facing. And that's the purpose. So th I think of this as a setup, and you can see that. You know, he says, let us go over to the other side. He's got something planned. He knows what's coming. They get in the boat, and they're following him into the direct path of an oncoming hurricane. Let's talk about that. He knows what he's doing. He wants to test their faith. He wants them to learn and to grow. And he's got to prove that he can handle the storms of life and that we can really have peace in the midst of that storm. Listen, sometimes you don't know what's inside somebody's pockets <laughs> unless you turn the guy upside down and shake him by his ankles. <laughs> All right, so if you do that enough time, guess what? It's going to come out of his pockets. I remember meeting somebody, talking to a Christian, and he lost, he had some financial troubles, and then suddenly, now he has second questions, doubts about God and all of this, and I asked him, how long has that been inside? I would have never known that about you. Until he got out of shaking by the ankles, you turn the boat upside down, then you find out what's really inside. And sometimes that just is part of why there are storms in our lives. And so now, so this furious squall, the word squall is just means like a hurricane, right? It's it's the wind part of the storm. <clears throat> and in that area of the world, those squalls were nasty, and they still are asked a, a tour guide uh, about those kinds of storms when we were on the Sea of Galilee, and he said, oh, they're nasty. Been in one once, never want to do that again. You know, so uh, it has to do with the unique topography of that area. Did you know the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet uh, below sea level? And it's bounded by a lot of hills. Some of those hills are 2,000 feet uh, high. Uh, I got a couple slides, as always. There's the sea. Now, you have no idea how deep and, and how high the slopes around it. It's at the bottom of this basin where hot, almost semi-tropical uh, air is rising, and the cool mountainous air wants to settle. And when they want to change places, folks, a furious squall can just come drop down because changes in temperature, changes in pressure, that's the way it is over there. And so that's exactly what was going on there. And, and uh, let me show you another uh, picture here. So uh, here's Capernaum, right? And he says, let's go to the other side. This is the side that we're talking about, about five miles. It's about seven miles at its thickest, 13 
miles long. And so that's the Sea of Galilee. I just like you picturing what's going on. Uh, and so they're headed to the other side, as Jesus made clear. And so the other thing that you got to talk about, like, you know, okay, Jesus sort of knows where they're headed. He's going to use the storm for good. But, you know, did he originate that kind of thing? Is he the God of those storms? Well, you know, the spiritual climate, think about this. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Now, let me put the map back up. Sorry for me. Thank you. When he gets to the other side, let me just tell you, spoiler alert, they do, first of all, they make it to the other side. All right. (laughs) When they get there, there's the demonized man who's suffering greatly, uh, who has a legion of demons within him. And so the devil, who's got a foothold on this whole region here, this is all Gentile territory, right? And he's reigning and ruling over there. And one of his uh, main men, legion, right? He's right there. And he already kind of picked up that Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Woo, news travels fast. So the spiritual climate is what? Who's behind wanting to stop Jesus and 12 disciples from coming to a shore where they're going to run into a man who has a legion of evil spirits, right? So I would say that storms mostly originate (laughs) from this fallen world and from the evil one. It's his job to kill, steal, and destroy. You can put the verses back on. Thank you. It's his job. God's job is to say, hey, my job is to give you a hope and a future, plans not to harm you or hurt you, but to bless you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. So I don't know why we think, you know, God did so-and-so. You know, who opened the door to Pandora's box and let all these storms in? We did. We disconnected from the source of life. Adam and Eve, no thank you. We're going to disconnect. We're going to do things the devil's way, according to his suggestion. And what did that do? It opened the door to all things terrible. Every single terrible thing you can ever imagine in this world, on the earth, in relationships, in your own mind can be traced back to when we opened the door. And most of the storms I know, most of the storms that we face are of our own doing. Not always, but you know, We're victimized by others who have choices in this life. All kinds of things that go on, but it's always traced back uh, to the fall. So this storm is coming. And no matter how it's the origin of it, God has promised to use it. Uh, I like this one quote, and then we'll move on. Uh, Any storm which God our Father allows to come our way is a storm meant to strengthen, not destroy a storm that will yield blessing, one that will always leave you stronger, deeper, wiser, and closer to Christ in its wake. So that's it. He says, these are the storms. They're going to come to you, but look to me. Let me be a shelter for you. So it's time to set sail. The Lord knows what's ahead, as I said, and he's got a good purpose for it, right? And so <clears throat> in my mind, that demonized man who's gashing himself with rocks, who nobody can, can contain him, he's in chains, he busts out of that, man. He howls in the night. Nobody goes by the tombs there. Is he praying? Is he praying? Is that why I think he's praying? I think that's why Jesus says, and they take him as, as he is, just as he was there in verse 36. It's an idiom that means without going into shore to get anything else. He just gets done teaching, says, let's go. We've got an assignment. We're going to the other side. Why? Why the hurry? Why don't you get extra equipment or some more food? Oh, because he has to be there to help that man. That's my estimation of what's going on. And so they're off without warning this furious squall. They're on their way. 
The waves are sweeping over, taking uh, on water. Winds are howling. And look, they're caught off guard. Why? Because it came without warning. They were not expecting that. And then the Bible says they're in great danger. Now, the great strength of the storm is meant to emphasize the even greater strength of Jesus. But you know what? Can we look at the without warning? Because that's kind of what happens. It's without warning. Suddenly, somebody says something or you get the phone call. It's like, what? Without warning. And here's the remedy for not being caught off guard is to live with vigilance. I like, that's why the Bible says, listen, because the most challenging kind of trouble is the unexpected kind. The Bible always says, be alert, sober-minded, vigilant, 1 Peter 5. He says, keep watch all the time. Jesus always saying, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes on me. Stay close to me. Abide in me and me in you. Don't let distance go. Don't stop attending church or reading your Bible or, or just being distracted by life because that's when, when, it, when it comes unexpected and, whoa, where did this storm come from? Uh, you're less inclined to do well through that because you didn't see it coming. But if you're reading your Bible every day, you're going to church, you're serving the Lord, you got up that morning, you prayed and you sought the Lord, you got filled with the Holy Spirit, you're, you're singing songs, and then you get the phone call. Oh, that's a whole different thing than you haven't been to church for three months. You haven't listened to any Christian music. You're off in your own little world, and then you get the phone call. Oh, it's different, my friend. It's different. Be prepared instant in season and out of season. Well, I'm talking on the disciples are in, you know, they're, they're in grave danger. So let's get back to see what goes on here. We go from great danger to Jesus' miraculous intervention. So sometimes we say, where is Jesus in all of this? You know, well, here he is. <laughs> As they sail, Jesus falls asleep in the stern. He's sleeping on a cushion. That's eyewitness. That is eyewitness. He was sleeping on a cushion. Come on. Someone saw that. It's just, it just beautiful. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teach your master, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Don't you care? And he got up and he took care of business. Let's talk about it. Now, Jesus is asleep, and he really is asleep, but appearances really can be deceiving in that he seems to them unconcerned as uh, we often think of him, unfortunately. Now, this is a beautiful picture of Jesus' human side. He's born of a woman. who's conceived of the Holy Spirit, but he is fully human. He's a human being. But he's fully God, because he didn't have an earthly father. He is called by theologians the God-man. And here we see the human side of our Lord. And it's just beautiful what God went through to be a sin offering for human beings, he had to be one of, well, one of us. And we had, that offering had to be sinless. So it, it had to be perfectly God and perfectly man. And here you see Jesus, he's tired. Why is he tired? Because he got up early, as was his custom, before it was light, while it was dark, he'd get up in the morning and go pray. And then he started sitting in a boat all day, teaching, teaching all day long. And remember, his, his family came to rescue him because he didn't have time to eat. So they said he's out of his mind. So, of course, he gets settled in. He puts his head down. And guess what? He's tired. He gets hungry. He needs to eat. He's thirsty. He needs rest. He needs friends. And when friends betray him, it hurts him. And when he hasn't had food, he's suffering. He's hungry. And when he hasn't slept, he's tired. And so we see this, and it's just a beautiful thing. The human side of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2. Though he was in every way equal to God, in every way, he did not use that fact as an advantage for himself, but rather he laid down his life and became a servant, though equal to God in every way. 
And when you put a, a spike through his wrist, it hurt him. It hurt. So just the son of God. He's a human being. He sleeps. He needs sleep. And when you crucify a human being, there's a lot of excruciating agony. And so, now, you notice here, he's asleep. Um, For another reason, he's at peace. God the Son, in his human nature, he's decided to do this as a man, right? So he's kind of shifted into his human nature. He's modeling for all human beings how to trust God his father, right? And so sleep and rest and peace are associated in the Bible. So let me read Psalm 4, 8 to you. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So Jesus has a good sense that everything's okay. He knows the plan. He lays down to sleep and he can rest, right? Because he's got that peace. And so you notice the same waves that are kind of causing panic to the disciples are rocking Jesus sweetly to sleep like a beautiful lullaby, you see? Wouldn't that be nice the next time our world is rocked, that we're just rocked into this, wow, God, you've got this. You've got this. I can rest. I don't need to panic. One writer put it this way. Humanly speaking, if anyone had a reason to worry, it could be Jesus. Religious leaders were plotting to execute him. Overwhelming crowds with overwhelming needs. Families who thought he was crazy. Disciples who were very slow to learn. Yeah. (laughs) A traitor in his midst and the uh, painful experience of the cross closing in on him. Think of all the worries that might have kept Jesus awake. But even in the midst of a storm, Jesus can rest well because he trusts well. Yeah. Do you rest well? But the disciples mistake Jesus' ability to rest well as, uh, as uh, being unconcerned for them, and they bring a rebuke uh, to the Lord, which I don't recommend, okay? <laughs> I mean, I don't think we should accuse him of anything. Uh, you know, the, the Psalms are a good guide in holy reverence and humility to say, God, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. You know, I'm in a lot of pain here. Uh, that's okay. But, you know, just to say, hey, don't you care? Come on. I mean, th- this is not right to do. So they wake him. Now, I noticed this. Did you? The howling wind. Have you ever been in a hurricane? Because that's what's happening here, folks. This isn't just like 40 miles per hour, you know? No. This is full-blown 80, 90 miles an hour wind or more. Have you been in a hurricane? You cannot hear yourself think. It's like being inside a train engine. Just is very loud. Does that wake him? No. How about the boat under all that pressure? You know there are boxes and things sliding and hitting and cords snapping, and it's loud. Does that wake him? No. And I'm sure the, the, the disciples are screaming like a bunch of girls, you know? <laughs> Not that girls. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no. No, Oh, skip that part out of the thing. Thank you. All right. Right, but does that wake him? No. What wakes him? The cry of the ones he loved, his children, his disciples. That wakes, that rouses him. I noticed this with Barb, with when the kids were little, so little they were babies. Middle of the night, honey, what's happening? Where are you going? The baby, the baby. I don't hear anything. I don't hear any baby. What are you talking about? It's the baby, right? Oh, you know what? Like a mom who can sleep kind of lightly and just a lot of things going on, she's still asleep. One little, uh, 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 just one, one little burp, and she sits up, right? Because she's got a mama's ear, and the Lord has a parental love. And so it doesn't matter about the howling wind, but when one of his 
babies is stirring. The psalmist says, before a word is on your tongue, he's stirred up. Right? He's not waiting for you to get anything out of your mouth. He's already on it because that's who he is. And so he's gladly awakened and to a most unpleasant situation when the disciples have to school him. You know, the disciples are going to give him an update, you know, their expertise. Here's the situation. And then they're going to accuse him with a snide remark. And so first of all, they say, we're going to drown. And you don't seem to care. Doing nothing about it. All right, so here we go. The first thing they do is update them from their, update him with their expertise. Now listen, Lord, you, you are a wonderful rabbi. You know a lot about the Bible. But we are fishermen, all right? And we've spent our whole lives on this uh, lake. We've been doing this. Not only that, Lord, but our fathers, our fathers are fishermen. And guess what? Our grandpas, they're fishermen, all right? So we know what we're saying to you. Let us just update you. We're going to (laughs) drown. You don't get out of this. There's no way out. We just need you to know, Lord. We checked it out. Hey, listen, you build wonderful tables as a carpenter, all right? But you leave this to us, man. And if you want my opinion, Lord, there's no way out. And now notice this. Did you catch this? We. We're going to drown. We. If we drown, that includes you. So it's we are drowning and you're not holding a bucket. And maybe it'd be a good idea if we together got a little bucket and we started to bail the water so that we don't drown. You know, and it's endless. It just goes on and on and on. By the way, uh, we're drowning. Now, then the sting. Don't you even care? Come on, how could you let this happen? What kind of Messiah are you? You know, the Son of God who lets us drown in the water? Oh, that's terrible. But it's such a very common and immature response to any kind of challenge or pain or suffering. Lord, if you really loved me, you know, if you were hearing my prayers... Why are you allowing my boat to take on water? Now, listen to me. The the name of the devil, the word devil, means slanderer. And what is a slanderer? A liar who lies to you about somebody else. That's his name. Now, if it's his name, he's pretty good at it. And not only is he pretty good at it, he does it all the time. So when your boat is threatening to capsize, you're going to hear this. Where's God? (laughs) Where are all the promises? He doesn't love you. He doesn't hear your prayers. This is all a joke. And the joke is on you. You know, you're not very smart. And and your mother dresses you funny. He'll throw anything in there. This is all your fault. God has abandoned you. He doesn't hear you. You think you're so important. You know what? Listen, and you don't think they heard that? Peter, where's your big Messiah? He doesn't care. If he cared, he'd be holding a bucket, wouldn't he? He wouldn't have let, didn't your Messiah, wasn't he smart enough to know there was a storm coming? Yeah. You're all looking at me like, I have heard that very thing. And I know, I know. So have I. So, despite the bad behavior, oh, what's the remedy for that? Listen, some Christians are like punching bags, little pacifists. They, they get smacked around by all these lies. He, he's abandoned you. You're going to die. You know, he doesn't hear your prayers. All of this stuff, and we just go... Nothing, no fighting back. Instead of taking the arsenal of promises in the word of God and saying back, you know, never will he leave me, never will he forsake me. My God will cause all things to work together for my good, right? And that guy, 
I serve the Lord who is maker of heaven and earth and nothing is too difficult for him. Where's the fighting back? Where is the fighting back? It's just, just take it and believe the lie in your life goes like this. Somebody needs to just straighten up and start getting a little irritated with all the lies about your wife and about your husband, about your boss, about your job, about your uh, self-esteem and all of that stuff. Amen? Okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But if you're going to applaud, it can't be three or four of you. All right. So, so, so. There. Now I feel like, oh, okay. All right. We got this. All right. Now, here's what I want you to see here. And we're having fun now. <laughs> I've just decided. Despite the bad, despite the bad behavior, um, he's going to save them anyway. Oh, he doesn't uh, do any lecturing or anything. He doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't say, how could you? Yeah, you know, I can't believe after all I've done for you. You know, he doesn't do any of that, right? I have written down here, how horrible would it be if my deliverance depended on my good attitude? Oh, my word. If... If our godliness and our good response in our times of trouble was, uh, was a prerequisite for God to intervene, then we'd all be pretty much uh, lost at sea. And, and Amen? <laughs> I know. So despite their bad behavior, he intervenes and he commands the wind and he says to the waves, stop this. Now, knock it off to the wind. He, they see him. Oh, folks, picture a hurricane. Not a breezy day. Picture a full-blown, devil-inspired <laughs> hurricane. Full force. And then Jesus yelling at it. Stop this now. To the wind. And the disciples see it, right? And then it goes... Whoosh. And they're like, well, you're going to see the reaction. Well, that's, that's a pretty good miracle. Now, why, why is he doing this? He's claimed to be equal to God. He's going to make the statement to Philip when Philip says, we need a vision of God. He says, how long have I been with you? And still you don't understand that anyone who's seen me has seen God? John chapter 14, verse 9. So now if you're going to say, I and the Father are one, John 10, verse 30, if you're going to say that you can be equal to God, then you better be able to talk to the wind and have it say, yes, sir, and calm down. But that's the whole point here, isn't it? It's the whole point is for you to know, I am the Lord. When you're in your worst nightmare, I am Lord of every single fear you've ever had, can have, or will have. I am the Lord of creation. Listen to how Colossians describes Jesus, who's in the boat. The man, Jesus. For by him all things were created. That's a big word, all. <laughs> in heaven and on earth. Phone, phones, cell phones, and <laughs> sadly, <laughs> visible and invisible. All things have been, <laughs> listen to this. All things have been created through him and for him and by him. This is the man in the boat. That is why he says, listen, if we're going to have theology about me that says that I created everything for myself and by myself, then I ought to be able to speak to the forces of nature which I created in the first place and tell them what to do. Amen. So, and this is all for our benefit. This is all for our benefit. This is why Jesus wants us to know these things. One commentator said this, oh, how ironic is this that the wind and the waves obey Christ? He says, the stars and constellations obey him in their orbits. It says he calls them by name and they come out and no one's missing. They, they know their little run. He says, the angels in heaven, 
do his bidding. The forces of nature bow to his will. The flowers come up in spring. The snow obeys him and falls in the winter. Even the birds know the flight of migration path, and they gladly follow. The only ones who seem to have any trouble obeying him are the human beings who were made in his likeness. And all God's people said, ouch. (laughs) Oh, but see, he says, listen to me, folks. He says, I'm going to put a spirit in you, rebels. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to change your heart to make you from prone to wandering to prone to obedience. I'm going to change your nature and make you want to obey. Amen? Amen. So Jesus graciously comes to the rescue despite their immaturity, their lack of faith, the snide remark, and there's a moral of the story, and here it is. We finish up. He says to his disciples, (laughs) come on. Why are you afraid? Why are you so afraid? You have little faith? You still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they've got some questions. We're going to look at that now. So let's close up with this. We've seen the lethal danger. We've seen and observed the jaw-dropping miracle. And now it's time for the model of the story. Because that's what Jesus does. Two concerns here as we wrap up. Jesus has some remarks And the disciples have a response. And I love both of them. First, the Lord's remarks. He says, I've got a couple questions. And then he throws in a hint of the answer. And he says, listen, everything goes quiet. There's a hush. And they're like, and he says, listen, why are you so afraid? Why? I'm going to give you a few reasons. Number one. Y'all remember when I said we're going over to the other side? That was a promise. We're going over to the other side. Did I say we're going over into the middle of the sea where we'll be drowned? (laughs) Did I say that? No. If you just would have stopped right then and there and remembered, hey, he told us we're going to the other side. Jesus is near. He's on the boat. He's right there. I would have... I always think of wanting to be the guy in there, having 2,000 years on this side, you know. We got it all figured out. To be the one who says, hey, listen, we're not going to drown. He's made us promises. Remember, remember he raised the dead guy, you know, come on, you know. Instead of being the guy uh, who, who gets sucked into the storm with the rest of them, and says, we're all going to die. <laughs> now, you know, they had the boats, the fishing boats had low sides because they dropped the nets out there. So they were in a lot of danger. They were in a lot of danger. So, you know, he says, uh, really, are you, why are you so afraid? He says, I made you some promises. And he's made you some promises. He's told you, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't allow it to be afraid. Because in my father's house, there's a room for you. I'm going there to make a place for you. And if I go there, I promise to come back and get you and take you to that place so that me and you can be there together forever. He has told you we're going to the other side and that neither death nor life nor angels nor powers nor things present or things to come, or famine, nakedness, peril, or sword can separate you. No plan of God's can be thwarted. He's made you a promise. Even if that means waking up through the storm and you're there safe and sound, you're going to be there. So you can have some semblance of peace. He says, why are you so afraid? Isn't a question asking for information. He doesn't want a list of, number one, the boat sides are really low and the water's coming in. <laughs> yeah, no. He say, he, it's a rhetorical question that says, you should, you have no cause. Number two, I'm in the boat. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse five. 
Do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit? The guy in the boat, the Lord of glory, he's in your vessel, man. He's asleep on the cushion of your heart. Don't be looking around. Where's God in all of this? He's like, hello. <laughs> I'm in here. I'm here. I'm right here. Now, why would you think in your crazy mind that uh, this is all going to implode when I'm inside? I'm right here. And, and uh, is it a question of lacking power? No, I'm pretty good with the power, you know. He tells the wind, knock it off. And, and it obeys him. He says, listen, list your 10 categories of fears. I'm Lord of all of them. And I can speak to all of them to cease and desist and they must obey me. Now quit it. Quit being like that. Jesus is on board. The problem is, is when you look at the wind and the waves and you forget about the Savior right there. You, do, you get a choice every single time for your perspective. You can see the, the tragic thing or you can see the Lord saying, hey, talk to me. I... This is important, man. Peter found out the hard way, and we're going to see that. You know, he took his eyes. Gaze on Jesus. Stay there. You'll have peace. Jesus is on board. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I love Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in you, who stay their mind on you. I love the King James. Thou will keep in perfect peace those who stay their minds on thee. Stay your mind on him. Get it off of the storm. Amen. Uh, you know, I visited a guy. You know him. Uh, he goes here. Well, he's sick now. And so he can't. He's on the couch. And he's in the throes of the final stages, quite honestly, of cancer. And we went and visited him, Claus, and uh, his beautiful wife, Terry, and their family. We go occasionally, try to be encouragement. And he's got this laugh. And, and as I said, you know, it's going to be with the Lord. And that's what he keeps talking about. He keeps laughing and smiling and saying, I really miss fellowship. I really miss church. I miss getting around and being helpful. It's hard for everybody waiting on me like this. But listen, he says, oh, I'm going to see his face. I'm going to awake and I'm going to see the face of the Lord. And then he does this chuckle. If you know Claus, he does this chuckle that just, you know, oh, it's so inspiring. And, you know, I'm like, Claus, we're all right behind you. We're uh, seriously, we've all got a couch lined up. I mean, sorry, it's a, <laughs> hate to be real and honest, but, uh, you know, it's something we all face. But I'm saying, listen, he has Christian maturity. He's, he's in a storm. The boat's sort of upside down, and he's not falling out because he's looking at the Messiah, the Son of God, and the promises of God. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Worry and fear and panic, just a big waste of time. Listen to me. Every single time you've spent one second panicked, just a big, fat waste of your time. It's needless. It's just needless. So uh, a hint is provided here as to why they're all freaked out. He says, you have very little faith. And here's what he means by that. You guys, here's why you're freaked out. A, you don't trust me enough. B, uh, you're not believing my promises or you're forgetting them. C, uh, you're doubting my good intentions. Uh, D, you're not, you're not convinced of my love or my ability to get you through this. And then finally, you don't know me as well as you ought to know me. So when the winds howl, this is faith. Faith is having peace, having peace, even though the winds, the waves, and the boat is taking on and trusting in him. Folks, we don't walk around like numb little robots. We're supposed to have some level of apprehension, some level of 
uh, anxiety, some level. Even the Lord Jesus was down on his face in the garden, sweating drops of blood, you know, crying out with tears and loud crying to the one who was able to save him from death. The Bible says Hebrews chapter 5. So I'm not talking about, uh, you know, this fake, manufactured, almost neurotic way of dealing with uh, upside-down times. We're talking about a faith that gives some semblance of peace where you're not panicked out of your mind and you're not shipwrecking. You're just buckled in and you've got a sense that an an overall sense of wellness, even though... That's what faith is. One writer said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of our faith is the end of anxiety. He's with me. His promises are good. His intentions are kind. I will come through this. This will work for my good. He's good. He loves me. He's got this. Right. And the last question, he says, do you still have no faith? By now, you guys should should be preaching alongside me. How many sermons does the average person hear in two years? A hundred sermons in two years. And if you've read your Bible three times a week, it's 300 times you've been in the book. For, For two years, you've had prayers answered. God's delivered you in 24 months of stuff. But suddenly something comes and you throw all of that out the window. 300 times in the word, 100 sermons. In Hebrews, it says, by now, you guys ought to be on the platform teaching. But instead, you have to be handheld through all of these little bumps and speed bumps and, and times. He says, do you still? You're still not getting it. That's a exhortation to grow, to be intentional, just Stop and grow. Amen? And so, yeah, he goes on. And and then we end with this. Um, We look down and we see the disciples taking stock and trying to figure out, wow, we just saw somebody talk to the hurricane and, and it stopped. That's amazing. Who is this? And so now they trade a fear. Look, notice, they're not in danger anymore, right? They were terrified. Why? Because they realize the man in the boat is more than a man. He's the Lord in a human body. Now, the reverence and fear of God displaces the fear of man and the fear of circumstances. So when God is bigger than your storm, then you're going to have the ability to have some semblance of peace and sanity and some level of deep joy, right? But when the storm is bigger, the fear of the storm is bigger than your reverence for God and your understanding of who it is that's in your heart, then you're going to give way. Your faith is going to give way to fear. And that's exactly this is their question. Who is this? What kind of man is this? This is what he wants them to come away with. I'm the Lord. I created the whole world. I have all power. I'm in the vessel with you. I'm leading you to your destination. And as the Lord, I'm able to get you there and through anything. So why are you so afraid? Fear God. Revere God. And you'll have less fear. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great love. Thank you for your patience with all of us, Lord. We know a lot of this, but we know it in our heads and not so much in our hearts. So help it to go from our understanding academically to our experience, Lord. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I want to pray for those who are currently in the midst of a pretty good storm. And the way to identify you uh, in this case, if you don't mind, if you're not currently a little bit upside down in a storm why don't you just take a seat while we just pray a closing prayer so take a seat if you're not in a storm if you're in a storm remain standing all right see there are quite a few people in the storm 
and I've got a word for you. Look at me. The same God who's gotten you through every other storm in your life is the same God who is going to deliver you and make this thing come out. You're going to come out the other side. You're going to laugh again. It's going to resolve, and you're going to be better off as a result of you enduring this time. And we're going to pray for you that your faith endure and that you cooperate. All right? Okay, if you're by somebody in a storm, I want you to just stand, put your, your hand on their shoulder, all right, so that they feel somebody praying for them. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has promised, Lord, to be within us and to keep us and his wonderful power, we pray, Father, that you would bring comfort, a sense of well-being and peace during this time of trouble. We pray, Father, that these dear, wonderful people who feel upside down right now and out of control in some degree of apprehension, may they set their eyes upon Christ and may you deliver them, Lord, and may you speak to those areas that are causing problems and cause them to cease and desist, Lord. But have your way, we pray, and we pray that you'd uphold them, strengthen them, comfort them, and guide them with your wisdom through this time. Father, that they'll come out the other side praising you and giving all the glory to Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.